Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. On this episode, I sat down with a friend of mine from college, Corey Daniels. We talked a bit about his career as an independent contractor and as well a host of popular topics. Take a listen, and I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and I have the fantastic pleasure to have a friend I've known for such a long time, but we've unfortunately moved geographically apart, so kind of separated in that way, but been connected on the social media, my friend, Corey Daniels. How are you doing, Corey? Hello. Thank you very much uh, for that lovely uh, intro. Um, I, I don't know if I'm deserving of all that. Uh, but yes, uh, I'm very happy to be here. And uh, thank you for having me. Um, yes, we did move. You, well, you left this coast. So <laughs> I mean, I was here. And this is where we met. So I'm still here. But yeah, there you go. Yeah. So so with that, why don't uh, we give our listeners a little bit of introduction about um, how we know each other, and a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I actually don't remember how we met. I know that or the the first instance uh, because we spent so much time together in college. Uh, HU, uh, you know, <laughs> and so we were a part of a friend group, and we just had a, a kind of a pod, if you will. I guess a word that means more now than it did then. Um, and so we kind of just did everything together. We hung out together. We binge drink together. We just did things and uh, sometimes messy, and but very memorable and very fun. Um, I cherish all of that experience. And um, I'll, again, the reason why we're talking now is because we never really lost touch. Uh, so that's that's a really great thing. Um, and the genius of social media the one good thing of it is that we're able to do that and see each other in passing and kind of keep up with each other's lives and family's lives and things of that nature um a little about me i'm from uh maryland originally um suburbs of baltimore uh grew up there family's still there and uh kind of just transitioned to dc when i came to howard and just fell in love with it uh and i've been here uh 11 years now. Um, I am now, as I've gotten to the ripe old age of 33, ready to move <laughs> to the country and buy a tractor. But, you know, I think COVID has uh, kind of pushed that further up in the, the to-do um, list. But yeah, just really uh, easygoing guy, work government or in and around government all, all my uh career and now kind of moving into more entrepreneurial endeavors, uh, so which we'll get into, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, that, that's me. I love to cook. Um, you can follow me um, on Instagram at The Daily Corey. Um, food, home, garden, uh, DIY, all of that kind of stuff is kind of what I get into um, as a, far as hobbies. And uh, also love a good cocktail and wine. That's also very important. Uh, so yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, let's let's get into that a little bit. You talked a bit about some entrepreneurial bend that you have now. I know you're working in the world of information security, which is such a pivotal and changing 
landscape and kind of curious how you got into the world of um, information security and how that kind of entrepreneurial bend sort of sits now with you. Okay. So, you know, my education started in finance and then ended up political science and which has nothing to do with technology from an educational background standpoint. Um, I had been an intern in high school and in Baltimore and came to DC and kind of moved the internship just through asking the power of just asking, you know, um, open doors for me um, just by, you know, being the squeaky wheel. Um, I asked my internship coordinator uh, because Social Security Administration had an office in DC, of course, could I potentially, could they find room for me there? They did. Um, and while in college, I had a federal job uh, that worked around school, um, something called the STEP program, um, which actually doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's now called Pathways Program. So if anybody is in college or high school, I would encourage you to look into that. It's a great way to get into federal service. Uh, so I started doing that. And then once I left college and uh, got into the professional realm, I became a full-time federal employee. Uh, I did that up and until 2016 uh, when I was recruited uh, by Deloitte uh, consulting firm that actually worked for government. And from there, I just kind of had a lot of uh, shorter term contracting, government contracting gigs um, at NASA, Census, FDIC, um, currently with Army and uh, with uh, USAID um, Agency for International Development. And in my government contracting experience, you kind of see how the sausage is made uh, as it relates to BD business development. And I said, I would, I would be good at that. And I want to be able to um, expand my skill set in that. So how I got from poli side to tech is because I worked in policy offices for most of my career and a lot uh, with cloud migration and uh, blockchain and information security, all of that, because everything's online, that's a really big piece of the business at this point, a big focus mm -hmm. uh, with, to prepare for things like we're in now, we're all basically cloud-based because we're remote. And I have been remote um, on the two federal contracts that I have for a year plus at this point, which has been fabulous, but we'll go down that road later. Um, so I worked in policy offices and then initial, eventually I got around to tech policy. Um, and if you can read policy, it's kind of the same. It's all written, uh, for a lay audience by the government. So agencies could implement the policies that, um, that are legislated, uh, or the statutory requirements that come about from the president, the white house, et cetera. Uh, so moved into tech policy and at Deloitte, uh, which is a really good uh, starting point for younger professionals. Um, it really builds you up and fortifies you, if you will, in the work uh, load. It puts a really good professional spin on it. And uh, I worked at NASA and I was kind of thrust directly into having to manage business administrative systems. That's not something that I was trained on, but they knew that I had the 
ability to do so um, intellectually and, uh, you know, just being able to comprehend what needed to be done. Um, so just really being given the chance and being open um, allowed me to kind of transform. And then from there, I went to Census Bureau where I worked on enterprise architecture. And enterprise architecture is not something that you just go into. Uh, it's something that you have to kind of learn. Uh, but if you understand the policy part of it, which is the foundation and then how things are built and how things work, then you can kind of understand that as well. Uh, from uh, Deloitte, I then went to FDIC and actually worked in privacy, which is information security total uh, as it relates to the Privacy Act. Uh, so again, policy-based, uh, but everything is built upon it. So that is uh, something that was able to be understood and then applied into the real world, which led me uh, to my current uh, positions and those consist of managing a privacy team, managing an information security uh, team, and a cybersecurity team, all kind of working in tandem together uh, to secure information, PII, uh, personally uh, identifiable information um, of government employees and uh, people who use government systems all around the world. So we're like a 24-7 366 business uh, in both places at Army and USAID, uh, but that's kind of how the transformation got from A to B. Awesome, that's that's quite a journey and and very interesting one. I definitely took notes about the pathways, and I'll include links in the show notes for folks um, for, in case they're interested in getting into the world of government work. But it was critical. One of the things about you mentioned about being open is so is so important uh, to being flexible and kind of looking at opportunities that may not um, off the bat jump out to you as like, oh, this is something I maybe want to do or something that maybe is a straight line to what you think your kind of goals or path is supposed to be, but being open and flexible, you can always gain something, learn something, I think, in that way. So you mentioned kind of this, this project's in and contracting that you're doing now. Um, how do you like, and you mentioned also having worked directly for the government, is there pluses and minuses? Where would you say if you had a preference to pick one, like at 3 a.m. somebody wakes you up and like, okay, you have to either go back to go back to be a government employee or continue to be an independent contractor, which would you choose? And is there is there certain reasons or maybe you don't choose? Oh yeah, that, there are definitely reasons to be on one side or the other. Um, when I left in 2016, I was ready for something new. I had been in that world since high school. And when you're in your 20s, you wanna, you, you have more freedom to be uh, risky, uh, like, just like an investment strategy. You have more time to make it up. And so government offers a certain level of security uh, that you can't get in the contracting space because you become an at-will uh, employee of a company. Um, you're not, paid directly by the government, which removes that security away from you um, in a career conditional um, appointment, which is traditional government service. And so you get a solid uh, thrift, you get a solid salary, you get okay benefits. Uh, and I would say actually better than okay. You get really good benefits for 2021. Um, Maybe for 1996, it would be subpar, but we're not there. We're living in the pre present, so yeah. Uh, 
in in my at, I'm 33, so at this point, I figure I can uh, kind of move to a more risky space. So higher risk, higher reward as well. Uh, you earn more. Um, you have the opportunity to affect more change in a lot of ways. Government work can be very staid in some areas and very methodical and systemic or systematic. And where as you're a contractor, you're brought in to create some change, uh, some transformation. And uh, a lot of that, a lot of those times, you can really move the needle on things and, you know, grow your experience uh, in a faster and more dynamic way. Uh, so right now, if it was 3 a.m. right now, I'd choose what I'm doing. Um, eventually, I had thoughts of going back to government, but then the entrepreneurial spirit, which I've always had, just kind of really set in. And so that doesn't mean working as a contractor um, under a company, but owning the company and being the person of record, hiring other people to work on the contract. So that's where I am in my um, journey, kind of transitioning into that. Um, and just before you know, we get into that, it's not LLC Twitter. It's very, uh, it's it's not easy. You have to work and you have to. Uh, be well versed in what to do. You can end up in tax trouble. You can end up in legal trouble, um, and you need help um, if you're not an accountant, a lawyer, and a uh, MBA, for for example. So you really need to be able to, if that's what you want to do. There's a lot of groundwork to lay. Um, before you actually just jump into it, particularly doing business with the government. It can be very, very rewarding, um, particularly for people of color, but you got to know what you're doing. Yeah, just just for our listeners who may not be familiar with the idea of like this LLC Twitter, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is there's a lot on the Twitter social media sphere of, you know, all you need to do is get an LLC do this, do that, you gonna all of a sudden be Jeff Bezos and blow up and everything's going to be honky-dory. And there's not really a clear um, and more in-depth path, which you wouldn't necessarily expect on social media of, there's a lot, as you said, a lot of groundwork, a lot of steps, a lot of missteps you can make in the, in that path to kind of growing your own business. So with my experience in seeing really how the sausage is made on the back end. Um, I've had some great relationships with the companies that I've contracted for. Um, and currently, it's a bit of a mentorship opportunity for me um, to work for a small uh, Black-owned uh, business uh, by the name of a theorist based in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, the partner there is uh, very about business development and uh, moving the needle as it relates to uh, more ownership of contracts in the uh, Black community. Um, so we've been shut out, really completely shut out of that um, area. And that's something that we could really benefit from. Um, the Small Business Administration um, as well as states and local governments have a lot of programs as it relates to um, setting up small 
disadvantaged minority owned businesses. Um, it's a lot of information out there, but you got to really sort through it and that takes time. Um, but to answer the question about uh, LLC Twitter, that is the memes that are floating around. It's like, okay, all right, you got some money, you got a stimulus check, and you are going to go and spend 250 and you're going to set up, you know, an LLC. Great. Okay, so then what? You have to know that an LLC is a type of corporation, uh, limited liability, and you have to know how that's taxed. If you're a sole proprietorship, if you're the only owner, you gotta know how to hire employees. You gotta know how to file your taxes with the state where you file your LLC. So great, you have an LLC, but does it work for you? Or did you just put the money out to say you had one? That's only step one. Step two through 65 require research, uh, and a lot of professional help. So I've recently uh, reached out to a financial planner uh, because in effort to move into 100% uh, entrepreneurial endeavor, you need to have people that have your financial back. You need to make sure that you are very clear on what's coming in and what's going out and what's going to Uncle Sam. Um, if you have employees or want employees, that's something you gotta figure out how to pay them, tax them, unemployment insurance, medical insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you have to decide whether they're W-2 employees or 1099 employees. The, these things aren't just uh, easy things to come by. You gotta, you gotta teach yourself. Uh, you gotta become educated. And a lot of times that requires uh, an accountant and it requires uh, an attorney and it requires a financial planner. So that's where I am currently. Um, I look to have things kind of set up in that way fully uh, by year's end. And then I can start going out to look for contracts myself and then subbing to the companies that I work for as a total 100 indep independent contracting company and not an individual. Cool. Very exciting. I, I, I'm sure you'll accomplish that by year's end, if not well before and be the next hottest uh, uh, contractor out there. Your mouth to God's ears. Like. <laughs> <laughs> you can do Thank it. You. I know you can. Let's see, we'll see. Awesome. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the daily quarry and some of that. I know on that in that vein, um, both in the cooking front and things, you also have some social commentary you also share with um, your friends on, on the social media side. I'd like to get your take on a couple of um, what I'll call kind of hot topics, things that are sort of relevant. As we know, we're still going through this pandemic. Thankfully, there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccines and all that good stuff. I'm curious what you did. Um, what are some of the things you did during the quarantine, some of your quarantine chronicles, if you will, that help to kind of keep your sanity? So you seem sane, at least over the Zoom. Oh, yeah. So I like to think that I am, you know, pretty, pretty sane. Um, <laughs> Most people you know, think I, they're sane, even the ones who aren't. So I was about to say, you know, there's some <laughs> deniability in there, but that's OK. One, you know, first thing is believing it. So I am really in, I'm a person that does not believe in stress. I like to eliminate any type of stressful anything at all. I'm very blessed in the way that I have a very supportive family who uh, everybody is self-contained and um, we can be support for each other and we're very close. 
but I also believe that in friendships as well. And so I have a small tight-knit group of people that I can count on for certain things. Um, their word is their bond and they're really good people. I think that I have some very good people around me um, as well as a very, very good uh, partner. Uh, his name is Drew. And uh, Drew and I are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, um, but that works because it's like an up, down, back, forth situation. And so that is completely a recipe for a good life, if you will. So I'm, I, I don't take it that I'm very, uh, take it for granted that I'm very blessed in uh, the situation um, that I have right now. Um, I also have jobs that kind of scale to remote working. Um, that's something that it set a precedent for me that I'm not going back. There's no return for me. Um, this is what I'm going to be doing until I'm doing what we discussed on my own. And I, I, I see no reason um, to be commuting in DC. Uh, at this point, I never envisioned myself being back on a train for or, sure. uh, for sure. being smashed up against a hundred of my closest friends. <laughs> um, I just don't see that from, from my life. And I understand that, you know, some people can't take being in the house. I love it at home. It's very comfortable here. The, this is where I pay for things. I have channels and food and, you know, some wine. I'm good here. You know, if I could fit a gym in this house, I'd do that. Uh, so I'm okay. And literally, this has been a time of uh, level setting, I would say. Uh, literally writing down things, affirmations for myself, and then trying to draw a map to get them to fruition. And the luxury of time is underrated. Uh, time to consider, time to ponder, time to be quiet, just still. Uh, that's something that uh, a gift that I consider a gift of the pandemic. And I think that I have been able to expand my horizons in my mind um, during this time, which has also been pretty valuable. It's like, okay, well, you have these fleeting dreams, but what are the pieces that make sense to lead up to it? So the Daily Quarry um, is, I always love to cook. I think when we uh, were in college, I cooked as well. Uh, but that's just oh, yeah. been a hobby yeah. of mine since childhood. And um, I don't want to do it professionally, although I have done it in a catering situation. I don't want to do it in a restaurant that I don't own. Uh, one day I would like to have a restaurant of my own, uh, but as in a creative direction standpoint, not a chef. Um, I did not go to school for cooking or anything, um, but it's, it's just what I like to do. And I think that everybody needs an outlet, a hobby, uh, something creative uh, that they do. I think it's, it helps with the stress level. It balances out things. And uh, so the Daily Quarry is really a one half of the things that I like to do at home, uh, kind of decorating, kind of uh, DIY projects, things on the car. I don't really believe in calling anybody for anything. I just want to 
do it myself to figure it out. Um, it's a rewarding experience. I know that's not everybody's thing, but I'm just saying find your thing. Um, around the social commentary, so the daily core is one thing, cooking, home, things of that nature. And then I really like to talk a lot. And Do sometimes, you? <laughs> I, I guess, uh, sometimes, you know, I like to host people. And, and in our pod, I've done so during the pandemic, we've all been together and we're all vaccinated. Thanks God. Thank God. Um, so we're able to do that again. Uh, hosting dinner parties and having spirited debate. And I don't fall in a lot of millennial, black, upwardly mobile, stereotypical opinion bases like a lot of folks in our age group do. Um, I have some very conservative principles about certain things, and that kind of clashes with the more liberal folks that are around me, which I love. I think it's great. Um, and we can kind of come to some consensus uh, about things, but sometimes we can't, and that's okay too. Uh, but food and conversation, definitely politics, love it. Uh, so that's, that, that's the Daily Corey and the social commentary kind of pushed together. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of <clears throat> politics and social commentary. Um, so we're in a new uh, administration. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, Thank God. <laughs> let's just have a moment. Like I just need, I want to almost pause the tape and like have a Holy Ghost, like catch the spirit <laughs> off of making, making it through these last four years. Let me tell you what. Um, and I'm just curious, especially being um, in the you're in the DMV or as people who have never lived there would call it D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, which is kind of the Washington metropolitan area. What's it like been in the four years sort of in that previous administration of the man who shall not be named? Um, and then if there's anything you're starting to notice to the negative and the positive with the new administration, um, curious on your on your take on these things. So, okay, I saw the transformation from the Bush years to the Obama years to the Orange years to now, and so I've been in D.C. for kind of all of that. And right. you know, under Bush, I feel like we remember he came to Howard and they shut down the yard and. The Washington Post wrote this article, ridiculous article about Howard students were upset because they couldn't go to Soul Food Thursday. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, no, we were that, upset because I was trying to get to my test. I had an exam. Right. Like you interrupted campus. How about that? <laughs> uh, to an event that like, students didn't go to. That was the other right. thing. <laughs> to, to show up. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, okay. And I hate to say that Bush isn't as bad because we have something else to compare it to. No, the bar was still very, very low. It just went subterranean after the fact. But to, to come out of the Bush years and then to really like feel the wonder and the magic of the Obama years, I mean, we stayed up, we had parties, we were like doing the electric slide on U Street after uh, on election night. And that was just like absolutely magic. And then to see it all kind of crash down. I remember uh, the days leading up to uh, Orange's inauguration, we went downtown and it was like 
the pitchforks and the Congestoga wagons were out. Like people were just being like crazy. Like it was so tribal and almost kind of scary. And we didn't recognize DC. I think for a solid maybe three years, I didn't even visit the mall uh, because there was always uh, something, I'm speaking of the National Mall. Um, there was always some type of demonstration or some type of kerfluffle going on that you didn't necessarily want to engage or be a part of. And that was just like crazy. Like we stayed away from places that we would walk at night and um, just because it just didn't seem safe. Um, so to lead us to now, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm very glad. I'm glad we eked it out uh, because it, it had to happen. I don't really know how we would have survived. Um, and with the, the events of January 6th, uh, the storming of the Capitol, where, you know, obviously the bullets had run out or, some, or something. Um, I, what do you make of that? Like, what do you say to that? How does that happen? And there are really no real repercussions um, for the people who perpetrated it. Uh, that, that, that's a problem. I mean, it speaks to a larger uh, racial injustice, but that, that really was disturbing. Now, I do contend that it was white people, white folk business. And I like to white say people, out of white, white people. Business. Yeah. Yes. I think that black people need to stay out of white folk business. Uh, as Toni Morrison said, uh, racism is a white person's problem, is white people's problem. And they should figure out what they are going to do about it. Leave me out of it. And I fully and totally endorse that and stand behind it. So. Absolutely, for sure. Um, it's definitely, um, and in earlier episodes, if you're listening to this, check out the episode I had with my cousin Lee. We talked a bit about this idea of um, what a lot of people confuse in the world of like diversity, equity, and inclusion. I don't know, we're not exactly talking about that, but you you mentioned about being like kind of white folks business and they need to work it out. Is It's so interesting that you know, they look to people that look like you and I to kind of answer those questions or educate them on certain things. And it, and, and thinking that these conversations about um, issues is sort of the work of that work. And it's like, okay, we sat and talked about it. So that that's good enough, right? That's sort of it versus they need to actually put boots on the ground and really get into and lead these kind of conversations and fights on, on issues um, to in order to challenge the racist um, systems and and things that exist, so it's just interesting. Interesting. Um, a call out from when I actually worked uh, my last federal experience, and we were doing a uh, offsite uh, for uh, the office, and we were at this facility, and they brought in a. Uh, facilitator who wanted to discuss diversity. So everybody was kind of on eggs shells as it related to wanting to discuss it. I was young, I was in my twenties and compared to the rest of the folks there who were baby boomer, Gen X. Um, so I was one of the only millennials. And so I just let it rip. Like basically 
if you want to ask these questions, then I'm going to give you answers to them. I don't remember exactly the, what the questions were, but they were baiting. What do you see differently about this person? And do you, which you're trying to really like uh, drill out your bias, but not too much to make anybody uncomfortable. But you can't have these types of conversations in a vacuum. You, they're not effective or efficient. And so me letting it kind of just go in uh, explaining what it feels like to be a black man um, in the workplace literally got me into a situation where my boss kind of pulled me in his office and he was very senior at the agency I worked with for and was like, are you okay? You, you seemed angry. And I said, no, I'm not angry. This is just basically what goes on. I was just trying to, you know, be a narrative to and show you what happened because that's what the facilitator was asking, but nobody was giving any real uh, uh, feedback. And so that taught me a lesson that, okay, you can say what you want, but everything has a consequence, a reaction. And the reaction was that I wasn't, you know, cited or I didn't uh, feel uh, any kind of way, uh, like I wasn't demoted or anything. But the way that they dealt with me in the office, totally different. You would have thought that I was like Huey P. Newton after the fact that I was trying to be, you know, open and honest with the conversation. So that showed me that in these DNI situations, this was 2016. I think we've made some progress in 2021. But in these situations, you really can show up as your full self, but is it going to be, is it going to serve you? And that's a risk that you're going to take. Uh, but I also feel that the D, uh, D and I, I feel like the diversity and inclusion uh facilitators or ombudsmans or the heads of such departments, they need to be diverse and inclusive in their thought process. I just don't think that white male, white female are those people uh, to be able to have the bandwidth or the tools to even deal or unpack these things responsibly. And so it was it was a very interesting situation, um, but when that happened, I was kind of ready to leave like sh shortly thereafter uh, because it was just an uncomfortable situation just based on me sharing my experience, uh, not attacking anybody and not being um, argumentative or anything, just sharing and what what that which which is what they asked for and yeah, very interesting, yeah. Very interesting indeed. It's uh, interesting how those um, interactions can go a variety of different paths. So let's switch gears a bit. Switching mm -hmm. gears. Um, so of course we can't, as two distinguished Howard alumni, not talk about our, our sister and fellow distinguished Howard alumni, Madam Vice President Kamala yes. Harris. Yes. Wait, H-U, you know? You know? Exactly. Mamala. Mamala. <laughs> indeed. That, indeed. That's what her stepchildren call her. That's what her stepchildren. Cute. I thought that's so cute. And I think it's sort of, I'm, I read her book and it's really, really interesting because it sort of ties into like some other um, Asian um, uh, terminology as well. Um, what, what are your thoughts on how she's doing? 
um, in this administration so far. I know it's quite early overall. Um, what are some things you think she should tackle? I think she's currently been tasked with the um, immigration uh, immigration as the people at Fox News would say, the crisis at the border. At the border. <laughs> it's crisis. There's people there, but that's, that's, I don't know why that's a crisis, but anyway, these artificial borders. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think that uh, Vice President Harris is, um, I wanted her to be President Harris. Let's start with that. And I knew that when she dropped out of the race, that she was on the shortlist or the definite uh, for VP. At that point, we were like, okay, it can't be Bernie. And I'm not sure about Warren. She's got a plan, but I'm not sure that it's mm -hmm. gonna work against Trump. Yeah. But how do we figure this out? Insert black folk. Uh, Congressman uh, Clyburn, uh, South Carolina, uh, basically King made Biden and brought him back from the dead uh, after the South Carolina primary. And then I said, okay, well, lock, stock and barrel, we gotta go Biden. This is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, it helps that he's, you know, Obama's homeboy, fair, uh, but kinda definitely wanted to see uh, President Harris. And I am not sure that we won't. Um, not this term, God willing, in the creek don't rise, but <laughs> at some point in the future, divisible by four. Uh, yeah. I have a feeling that she made a deal and said, I will sign on. This is just, I have no skin in the game. I don't know anybody to know that this is the answer. But my guess is that she made a deal that said, I will step down. I will, one, be vice president. Two, you will not run in four years because you'd be too damn old. So you will king make me into the, the next president. That's what I think well, happened. A reporter asked him maybe two weeks ago, was he running for a second term? And he was like, oh yeah, definitely. And I'm like, Ugh. coincidentally, this was also like around the same time where he was tripping up the steps on Air Force One. And I was just like, can't they get this man an escalator? <laughs> like, I don't understand why this would be a problem. But, you know, here we are. But to answer your full question, I think she's doing an amazing job. Um, I think that, you know, having these high profile assignments um, is something that is going to really build her uh, political capital. Um, I think that uh, she needs to add something else to her plate, which is student loan reform and figure out how they're going to get rid of uh, some of this student debt that we were sold into a dream of. Uh, I think that that is the pinnacle uh, touchstone political issue of our time as uh, the next holders of the wealth in this, in this country. Um, I think that we need to figure out what we're going to do about the, these student loans, because at this point, they have rendered a bachelor's degree and almost a master's degree in certain um, certain unskilled areas and, and a few skilled areas uh, useless. Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, Google, all of the big tech companies are now in their job descriptions basically saying, 
oh, if you have a certification and this many years experience, degree is optional. Well, excuse us. Like, you know, like, what, what did you, why did we, and now we can't buy a house and now the economy is flat because y'all saddled us with debt. And now we can't even file bankruptcy to get out of it because the bankruptcy laws changed in 2005. Uh, coincidentally, when most millennials were headed off to college. So yeah, it's a trick bag you, you guys put us in, um, but I would like to see a Vice President Harris. I don't wanna wait till she's President Harris to, to figure out something with this. Uh, like what you gonna do about that, Joe? Uh, so yeah, definitely waiting on that. I think she's doing an amazing job. I think that she's up to task and ready. Um, Howard breeds that. Uh, I think uh, Black breeds that. Uh, and I and I'm very excited about it. So we'll see what happens. It's it's a much better time in Washington. I will say that. Awesome. That's good to hear. The energy is kind of resetting itself from the very contentious four years that we had. With I love how you call them orange. That's so perfect. Um, <laughs> it's it's the best. Um, yeah, the and orange green. years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the orange years were. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to tell my children about them. I don't care what they're going to write in the history books or whatever. I'll tell you the real, real. Like, it, it literally gives, like, I remember that scene, scene in Green, uh, Dream Girls where she was like, magic ain't got no father. That's why I feel like about America, like, during those years. Like, we just was out here, ward of the state, hanging <laughs> just in the Just hanging it, just, just holding on by fingernails and prayers. Like, that was it. Oh, it was a time that has thankfully passed. Hopefully he doesn't run again. Hopefully he's in prison. I'm waiting on the uh, Southern District of New York to get to get in uh, their case. They have or, been or Florida. Their or time. It must be a doozy and then. Good. Come on. <laughs> I'm down it for stick. it. Make it right. stick. No, no. You know, he doesn't have the best lawyers anyway. So it just needs to be sort of good, I think. And he'll be able to get out of it. He won't be able to get out of it, should I say. Uh, so last topic we'll touch on is sort of hot in the topics. Unfortunately, super, super relevant, even more so is the Queen Elizabeth and the Royals. Unfortunately, there was the recent passing of uh, her husband, Prince Philip. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, really initially wanted to get your thoughts on the the Harry Meghan interview with, with Oprah and sort of your thoughts on, on some of the things that were that rose during that and sort of um, the Royals in general. So just kind of your, your take on that kind of topic. So my first thought is during that interview, it's very interesting that two people that were absolutely directly connected to descendants of enslaved persons were rocking the core of the institution that perpetuated the transatlantic slave trade. That to me is like, if the chickens didn't come home to roost, what does that, what is this? Mm -hmm. I literally thought that that was very interesting and, and poignant, if you will. Um, I, my thoughts on the Royals really kind of are, why are we still so obsessed with them? I, thought I don't we know. <laughs> I thought we got the independence. We are our own people. Why do we care? I don't understand it. I'm we just curious. Go all the way down the rabbit hole for these people, and they don't 
like really even fancy us in that way. I think that they think we're heathens, just like the rest of the, the real world does as it relates to being an ignorant American abroad. Uh, and I, I just don't get our fascination with them. Um, I'm glad that uh, Megan got her uh, her freedom. Um, it's very interesting uh, that it seems more of like a cult work environment than a family. Um, but I think that it rings true in a lot of situations and dynastic situations that we have here in America in these families. Uh, so I, I'm not surprised, but I'm glad she got out. And now with the unfortunate passing of um, the gentleman, uh, the Queen's husband, uh, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, gone too soon. Uh, At 99, gone too too soon. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. At 99 years old, gone too soon. (laughs) I am going to be very interested to see how it turns out that that they are going to make their return back. I'm sure that the family is not very happy about um, her getting basically another international stage, uh, but that's going to happen because all eyes are definitely going to be on her, Megan, uh, if not her and Harry, but definitely her. Uh, so I, it'll be very interesting. Um, I'll catch the cliff notes. I don't need to be all in the weeds of the things. I think it's just more interesting and telling things to deal with here. Uh, I don't really go down as a black male, just don't really get into them that much. Um, So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I saw earlier that Fox News tried to connect Oprah to stressing him out, which caused his untimely passing. And I, I was just like, you know, I don't even understand, this is a tangent, but I don't even understand why Fox is even allowed to use the word news. I would call them the Fox Entertainment, Fox Entertainment Network. Network. Yes, exactly. Like, I, don't I, I don't get it, but okay, if they, all right. If they want to use news, it should just have a question mark after it. Like news? Right, perhaps. News-ish? <laughs> Adjacent? <laughs> like, I don't get it, but you know. The privilege uh. of it all. Uh, indeed, indeed, and that is that is a, a the privilege of it all could be an episode in and of itself for a future oh, day. Oh yeah, oh yeah, like it's so many unpackable things in there. Like if we just said, I don't think a task force over ten years would be able to pull out all the privilege that certain people have and don't recognize, or the ones that they exercise and say that they don't have, but. Yeah, that, yeah, another topic. Long, long podcast for that. Yeah, that would be an extra. I have learned that trying to enumerate said privilege to people who have it is an exercise in futility a lot of times because they just, uh, I remember having a discussion in my previous job with, with a guy and he, I was trying to explain um, privilege and then he told me this story about being allowed into like an honors something or other in college, though he didn't quite have the GPA, but he connected with some 
person and this whole thing, I said, that is privilege. It's like, no, because I really worked hard and this, this, and that. I said, and I stopped myself and I was like, okay, fine. We're done. Like it was okay, cool. <laughs> like I kind of cut the conversation. I was like, okay, great. Have a great day. And I just, Have a great day. Okay. <laughs> it was just like, I had the epiphany of it's really hard to unpack that for people because they one have to unpack it for themselves and two they've never experienced a world where they've been anything else but white and it's a hard this world that we live in in the western culture and everything is is made and designed for pro-whiteness and and designed for them to succeed at, at its core and just in the systematic ways in which things are set up from pick a topic um and so I just realized that that was the thing. So I've never really got into those conversations in depth one-on-one with people because it just becomes an exercise in futility that just is going to frustrate me. And then they just kind of like, meh, go about their lives. So, but yeah, tough topic talking about privilege and, and all that jazz. So, and I don't want to be uh, disingenuous in, in, in the privilege conversation because we have to also, uh, and I mean us personally, we have privileges as well. And, and, and I like to know that I am exercising a privilege when I am, um, as it relates to just, you know, location, geography, just whatever it is, um, being aware, uh, that you are privileged comparatively, um, from our peers. And that, that, I think that's very helpful as well. If only, you know, other folks could be as, enlightened yeah yeah I think I think some folks will get there some people won't I mean as per with most things I think some people who are earnestly looking to grow and understand will will find the resources and kind of have that aha come to Jesus moment if you will um and then people who are not aren't interested in those conversations aren't interested in looking into anything deeper will do what is required of them at the bare minimum and that's it is what it is at that point. I won't say that that's okay, but you can't ham string them, tie them to the post to make them do things. Unfortunately. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So this has been a fantastic conversation. I always love connecting with you. Um, I wasn't sure if there's anything you wanted to share with the people as we close out and think ways they can connect with you, anything you want to kind of plug or anything like that. Well, ways you can connect with me, no plugs yet. Uh, I can be found at the daily Corey, um, on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, that is my, uh, cooking and home DIY page. Uh, I'll be relaunching um, a website for around that, um, probably quarter four this year, uh, looking at actually uh, building out some retail space online as well uh, to sell some assorted items. Uh, so yeah, definitely working on some things um, professionally uh, as well as uh, personally um, on the Daily Quarry side, personal, professional work. And yeah, we'll see what we can, what we come up with uh, in the rest of this, this crazy year, which I think is going to be like 2020 junior. Um, and definitely uh, RIP DMX. Uh, that was really sad. Uh, yeah. Really, you know, 
sad to hear that. Um, I guess, you know, he, he made his mark and Indeed. it was time for him. So hope he's at peace. For sure, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll sh- make sure in the show notes, we'll have the um, link to Corey's Instagram and Facebook pages. So if you're curious to follow and kind of stay in tune on what he's doing, at least in the kind of food culinary fantasticness um, space, that'll be a way to connect. But thanks again, Corey, for, for coming on the show. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. I got to come see you soon, too. So thanks again to my guest, Corey Daniels. Lots of great conversation, lots of useful information. Um, If you're looking to connect with Corey, um, I have his information in the show notes, both for his Facebook page and his Instagram. Um, But yeah, reach out, follow The Daily Corey, and stay tuned for what's going on in that world. Um, As always, you can share this podcast with your friends, your family, and even your enemies. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, by visiting our website at thevictorypodcast.com and visit the Where to Listen page to share the different podcast platforms. Also, if you'd like to support the Victory Podcast, you can also check out our merch page. Um, that's also on the Victory Podcast page or become a our, part of our Patreon where you can get exclusive content and early um, access to different content. So I'll end this episode as I do every episode. Every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious.